I mean, I think that there's always this this idea of unsung heroes. That it's a very sort of human understanding of like, oh yeah, there are people that don't get talked about, and there there are people who do the do, do the deeds and then get forgotten. And I think that there's something really beautiful and romantic and 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 sort of sad and tragic about that. That I think we are always attracted to. At least I'm always attracted to. <laughs> Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves to be a gamer to discuss one of the games that made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer. Pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. So pull up that armchair Feel free to lie down on the couch. We are going to talk about our feelings. Mm-hmm. Spencer, what are you playing? <laughs> Thanks for asking, Jamie. Um, okay, so I'm very excited, as is a bunch of other people, um, because Ghost of Tsushima uh, just had an awesome update. Um, there's a new game plus. There's Legends, which is where you get to play with your friends. There's a whole co-op mode. There's like survival mode. It's like a whole thing. And even though um, I am definitely like a PlayStation Sony Luddite and I don't have any, <laughs> I don't even have a headset. Um, Jamie and I did a little, did a little co-op legends mode last night our little yes, assassin squad um <laughs> like literally like i was cracking up when i was in the tutorial and you were patiently waiting for me to get to the tutorial <laughs> and i was like oh my god i'm gonna be an assassin what what did you pick and you were like um assassin and i was like ah! <laughs> well it's fine we were both these really cute like kitsune like yusuke yes. demon yusuke vibes um <laughs> But yeah, like, so basically, um, Jamie, you and I played co-op mode for a couple hours. Um, Mm -hmm. It was actually the first time that you and I have just played a game together, but like in different places. And it Mm -hmm. was like a true, like online multiplayer experience. So yeah, we're real gamers now. Yeah, we're real. Like, I... (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I also feel like we're total liars because literally a week ago we were like, eh, we don't really play online multiplayer games. <laughs> and it was just because I had never, I guess, played one. And now I'm like, <laughs> I can't take me back. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to delete last week's episode from the I know. feed. We're fake. Hypocrites. I know. Listen to me. I just, Sucker Punch changed my life with that. Like, I, I don't, I, I think too. I, I was excited for it because I had already played the main story and fallen in love with it and fallen in love with the world of Tsushima. Mm-hmm. And uh, with like I was very comfortable with the equipment and fighting style and weapons. And so I think a lot of the stress of being dropped into this uh, like a multiplayer online world is like, oh shit, okay, where are my weapons? Where am I? Who am yeah. I? Who are my teammates even? Like who's on my team and who's on the other team? Like it's very much you just dropped into this chaos. And so I, I think it was a little bit different because I, I feel like I was a little a lot more well equipped to like what I was gonna expect. And then like um yeah, I just it was just very exciting to have this world that I was already used to just expanded. Um it, yeah. it was really cool. That's a really good point, actually. I feel like that's 
that's a, such a huge part of the stress with multiplayer games, right? Is just getting decent at it, but having to do that in a space where other people are evaluating you. Like when you're playing a single player game, you get to um, learn the mechanics and get competent at the game in a space mm-hmm. that's just yours. Mm-hmm. And if you fail, you're the only one who's there to witness it. You're the only one who's impacted. Um, so yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting uh, uh, perspective that I hadn't really considered that, yeah, because we got to play Ghost of Tsushima first it, as a single player game and get good at the mechanics in that space uh, coming into the multiplayer space is actually less uh, inherently less stressful because we already understand the mechanics. And let me tell you, we fucking dominated. Yeah. Bronze mode? <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we tried out the uh, the story chapters yeah. specifically. There's there's three different um, versions of multiplayer that are coming with this update. And actually, I think the third version isn't, isn't quite ready yet. But the versions are uh, there's two-player co-op story missions that you can do, which is what Spencer and I played. There's a four-player co-op survival mode. Uh, where it's four players facing off against hordes of enemies, waves of enemies. Which is coming. No, that one's already here. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, the survival mode's here. What's coming is the raid. Oh, the raid, right. Yeah, So, and I don't know if that's going to be four people again, or if it's more than that. I think it's four Um, people. Up to four. four Okay. And that's basically, uh, if you're not familiar with multiplayer um, lingo, Raids are usually just really complex, um, long uh, sort of missions, uh, usually lots of enemies, very challenging. The group has to really work together and hone their skills together to be able to beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, so those aren't quite here yet, but they're coming. Yeah, but we were in story mode. And just when I was saying bronze earlier, like essentially, um, like the one thing that I think might be frustrating for players who have already been in Ghost of Tsushima is just like, it does kind of force you to go through a bit of a tutorial where you learn all the moves of the different classes. There's samurai, hunter, assassin, and ronin. And the ronin's more of a healer, kind of magic mage type, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you will. Um, but you can call a spirit wolf. Or oh, yeah, spirit dog. Spirit, spirit dog, and you can pet it, and it's yeah. so, so cute. <laughs> um, but uh, what was I saying? Sorry. Oh, um, just the fact that, like, in the story mode, you have to play through the easy mode to then unlock the medium mode to then unlock the hard mode. So Jamie and I, two of you know, Kage's perfect killing machines (laughs) found ourselves just sort of like slaying zombie Mongols. That's the other thing is maybe because it's October, but uh, very spooky. Yeah. uh, The whole game or the, the multiplayer stuff is all set in, I think it's supposed to be like a spirit world. I got to be honest. I was having trouble kind of following what they were doing narratively, Uh um, which is just a thing that I think happens with multiplayer games in general. I'm way more focused on interacting with Spencer Mm -hmm. um, than I am on what's happening in the story. So the story is just kind of like set dressing, but the world was like kind of gross and weird. They're like hearts floating in the sky, like using blood. Giant yeah, human giant hearts. hearts. Yeah, but they're like beating and pulsing yeah. at the same time. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was not the beautiful world that 
Ghost of Tsushima has in the main game. So that was a little, it, it was a cool aesthetic. Like they definitely put effort into it. I don't want to downplay. I'm sure there was a lot of work involved, but mm-hmm. uh, I love the beautiful open world of Ghost of Tsushima. And that was not what we got to experience in the multiplayer. Yeah. Like the way that I was sort of interpreting the narrative, I feel like was that um, like, I guess what I gathered is Jin is not the only ghost, right? Like he mm-hmm. is one person whose name has been lost to history, but who has become this mythic presence because of the outsized impact uh, he made on the world around him and the legendary fighting style that he perfected. And so it was like everyone in this multiplayer mode is a ghost. And so to me, I think I was, because they are lost to time and and live in stories and in these legends, it's almost like we're being placed into like the world of imagination or the place between reality and the spirit world where the ghosts live in the kind of human consciousness. As you can see, I love ghosts of Tsushima and I'm like <laughs> just spinning up my own mythology. But um, I, I was very in, like, it did. I kept being like, we're in mementos because it kind of reminded yeah. me of Persona 5 in that we were in like Tsushima, but everything had this sort of red pallor and there was the hearts in the sky and, and the Mongols themselves were kind of like these uh, almost wraith-like zombies um, and everything was just a little bit off. Um, and the fighters themselves had like our assassins um, had these very demonic masks. And uh, it's cool to see a lot of um, the features in terms of customization. There's a bunch of cool mm-hmm. masks and outfits and weapons you can unlock. But yeah, I, I think in general, like I, with, with the way the game ends with Jin in his home and sort of roaming the island, collecting the rest of the Mongols, like I kind of was hoping for a bit more of that open world homesteading feel like I have my own secret Mm. wish for like the ability to make improvements to the house or just Mm, kind of mm -hmm. continuously live off the land. And um, I guess I can still hope for more content, but it was a little bit more restricted in terms of what we could do than, than perhaps I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really focused on the combat. Yeah. Um, Which is, I think, what a lot of multiplayer games focus on to be mm. honest um and the combat in ghost of tsushima is a lot of fun mm. i don't see myself uh revisiting it on my own like partying up with random people mm. like i would love to play it again with you but mm-hmm. it's not something i'm like feeling compelled to to go back to yeah. in any real way um and i think that just speaks to kind of like the way i feel about multiplayer in general and uh yeah there's there's a ton of cool uh uh items that you can unlock i love all of the new masks and gear that they've Mm. added they're all really cool looking i'd love to have all of those but i don't i'm not so drawn into playing it more that that i'm gonna go do that just to unlock that stuff so yeah i'm just laughing because i i've reminded me when you said masks i have to tell you what happened to me because I so when we were playing, I was like, "Oh, I miss, I miss Tsushima, I miss the game." So this morning, I woke up and I was like, "Oh, I forgot. I'll check out New Game Plus because now there's yeah. this whole." So one thing I have to say right off the bat is New Game Plus now includes custom armor loadouts. Like I think the most the most uh, t- frustrating thing to me about Ghost was just 
you have your armor, but then you also have the ability to equip these different charms into different slots to power up different areas. And so if you were switching between like stealth armor and melee armor, conceivably you might want to switch out some of your like melee defense and like just, you know, switch up the the build of well in the game the game of ghost Tsushima incentivizes you with those different um builds to not just pick one build and only use that build like there's a big incentive for when you're wandering the open world to put on the traveling cloak because Mm -hmm. that's gonna unlock more of your map and it's gonna help you uh find objects and stuff in the world a lot easier Mm -hmm. and yeah when we're jumping into a fight and you didn't have the opportunity to be in stealth mode, like you want to be wearing the armor that's good for melee damage. Like either the thinking of the intense samurai armor or the, the Sakai family armor, you know, and then, yeah, when you're sneaking into a place, you want to be wearing the ghost armor. So the fact that it didn't have a way to easily swap out those loadouts Mm -hmm. um, was, yeah, a huge pain point for me with the game as well. Like, you'd have to manually, like, my favorite thing would be, like, oh, standoff mode, pause for eight minutes while I just <laughs> switch out my uh, yeah. my charms one by one. Kind of breaks the immersion a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I love that in this game, now with each armor, you can create a custom charm slot build. That's and cool. Oh, my God. That was a huge quality of life increase. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. It was... It's great. It drops you right into um, the open world. Um, uh, (laughs) So you pick your horse. So this is my first just moment because you choose your horse, but it's New Game Plus, so you still can only choose between two horses. Um, But it was cool because I chose uh, my horse, Kage, and he's a black horse with this like red mane. Um, He's really pretty. Um, So that was kind of a cool, fun surprise. and okay, but here's the thing that I have to tell you about. So the difference in New Game Plus is that when you you're riding through the field as Jin in the open world and there's a there's an icon that pops up on your screen and it's like visit a mysterious merchant. And so in the distance you ride up on this mysterious merchant and he is like this man standing here with a mask that has many faces it's like this very demonic mask like like you'd see in the world from legends Uh and i walk up to him and i go who are you Mm -hmm. and the man turns to you and just goes (laughs) like he's like talking in this muffled voice his name is baku baku the voiceless merchant and i just want someone to tell me if baku is okay because (laughs) literally he is this this horrifying many expression mask with all of these different horrifying faces and every time you talk to him he just speaks back in this muffled strangled voice of a person who has no mouth so somehow jin knows what he's saying and he's like He's like, okay, thanks. Uh, goodbye. See you later. And I'm just like, hold up. Like, wait. I just. <laughs> the fuck? Like, I, I just, I kind of feel like my, like when you're Jin in the original game, there's a scene where you fight a demon in order to access a new skill. And I was under, the, I was safely under the assumption that, oh, this must have been a battle that happened in the mind. Like, demons aren't <laughs> real. 
Yeah. But now. Like some sort of drug, you know, like maybe Jin got dosed or something. But yeah, Baku can give you cool new armor and new masks that are a new part of New Game Plus. So it's Ooh. exciting. It's great to have. Like I'm jumping right into like raiding Mongol camps and it's actually mm-hmm. been like really cool jumping into New Game Plus. But um, Baku is nightmare fuel. and That sounds horrifying. There's some weird shit going on. <laughs> I, I don't really like that at all. But uh, <laughs> if he has cool shit, then I think it's worth our time. Exactly. Are you going to stick with it, you think? Do you think you're going to play through Ghost of Tsushima again? I might. I, I am very distracted because I did just impulse buy a Wii. And so I have like Hades and Breath of the Switch? Wild. Oh, <laughs> for a second i was like oh my gosh spencer another new console <laughs> i know it's 2008 i guess <laughs> um yes yeah, so i bought a switch um yes. and it's been calling my name but i gotta say like it's a good game love me some sushima um and it i'm so excited game. like i feel like this is a perfect uh segue for our guest this week who is earl t kim who plays norio in Ghost of Tsushima. Um, he sure does uh, really well. And uh, honestly, you know, part of the reason Spencer and I wanted to talk to Earl is just because Norio was one of our favorite side characters mm-hmm. in Ghost of Tsushima. We really loved him as a character. And I think in talking to Earl, it really just cemented that he put a lot of himself into the character too. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we have a really great conversation with Earl about authenticity in acting um, kind of the way games acting is changing nowadays. Mm, yeah. And and also this idea of like the unsung hero and why people are so drawn to that as like this romantic concept. Um, really, really a wide breadth to the conversation um, and really deep and, and emotional. Earl really went there with us. Yeah. And when you're talking about authenticity, like something that really stood out to me was, you know, when you're playing Ghost of Tsushima and you're really observing this this tenderness, this chemistry between Jin and Norio, I think that that speaks to the real life friendship between Daisuke and Errol. Um, yeah. they, they've also started streaming. They've, they have their own Twitch channel now, um, D&D Saga. Um, and like, I just, there's a lot um, of connections between the character that Earl plays and who Earl is in real life. And I think that it makes for this unforgettable, fully fleshed out um, character that we've all come to love in Ghost of Tsushima. Um, and so, yeah, we're really excited to just share this conversation with you guys. With yeah. all of you. 100%. So without further ado, here's our interview with Earl T. Kim. joining us in the pixel therapy studio uh, we're so excited to be having you here today for folks who for some reason don't know who you are could you maybe take a minute to introduce yourself um sure uh my name is earl t kim i am an actor voice actor performance capture performer model uh director theater person film person creator of stories and teller of tales, I guess, is sort of the way to put it. (laughs) A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything, yeah. And you've had a really fun acting career. Uh, You've popped up in everything from Avengers to Shameless to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. Um, Was the goal always to get into voice acting? Um, 
or like, <sighs> is that a goal of yours or how did you sort of end up in so you know for for folks who uh who don't know um Earl plays Norio in uh Ghost of Tsushima uh Sucker Punch's latest uh release and um and yeah and, and it seems like it's your first uh game right it is it is my my debut uh video <laughs> game performance i guess yeah so was that always a dream of yours or how did this kind of come oh, together well i mean yes i think <laughs> video game work has video game work has always been sort of this weird like fantasy of fantasies that my my nerdiest core self has always dreamed of doing uh, mm. but uh the i guess the serious actor part of earl <laughs> was uh mm you know sort of encouraged to to be uh pursuing tv and film and 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 theater uh and it was sort of it had it had been on that list but that list that i keep like in the back of the notebook that i don't show Mm. (laughs) that's like "Mm, yes these are these are high up on my list of priorities but they're they're secrets for me Mm. um but Mm -hmm. uh it yeah really it's it's the whole process of, I think, ha- ghost happening to me uh, is kind of magical and bizarre and wonderful, mainly because um, I, prior to Ghost, really hadn't had that much experience doing voiceover or motion capture or anything. Most of my wheelhouse is, per- is in theater, like mm. live theater. Uh, and so, um, yeah, when I... I I was in LA. Uh, I've been living in LA since uh, 2015. Uh, and yeah, I got the audition from my agent just sort of, and the really interesting thing was that they were looking for actors. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a trend that's happening more and more now mm. with the technology that's been developing that, you know, and, and of course you have the incredible swaths of, of voice actors who are, primarily voice actors who who are excellent at their craft mm. um but i think that the industry is definitely shifting and changing in ways where i think the, the desire for authenticity um i think is a thing that's constantly being refined uh mm. in just our society um but i think that that has really pushed for a lot of of companies looking for for real people to play these real people in these games that they're trying to make. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I was just a, a, a lucky, I was very, very lucky in that, um, you know, I kind of had put video game work out of like, in like a, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe when I'm a bit more something <laughs> like maybe when I'm a bit more established or, or, you know, or it'll be a thing that I can kind of get into, or maybe I can try and get in through sort of like, um, being like voice course, that, uh, but life and fate and life. things sort of brought ghost to me, which, um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting story. I, um, I've talked about it on my, on my stream and sort of with a couple of people like on social media, but, mm-hmm. uh, I actually originally auditioned for Khan. <gasps> Earl. Yeah. So there's a bit of, uh, so I was originally brought in uh, by the amazing, amazing Ivy Eisenberg, who is mm. the casting director for Ghost, who is the casting director for Name It. If it's a video game, she's mm. probably had her finger in it. Um, 
uh, all of the Call of Duties, like uh, Robot Chicken, like mm-hmm. th- this woman. She the things that she that she casts are incredible and her mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I I was just really lucky, I think. And Ivy really took a shine to me as far as um, I guess what I'd brought to Kotun or tried to. And but ultimately, she she sat me she sat me down and essentially was like, "Sweetie, honey, baby, you're doing great." I love everything you're giving me, but I like you a little too much yeah. and I have to not like Khan at all. And it was like, it was the most wonderful and like heartbreaking, but like, oh my God, I'm so glad someone's <laughs> actually having this conversation with me because, <laughs> you know, like, cause really when I first got the, that, that initial audition for Khan, I was like, oh, okay. Like mm-hmm. I, side note, Earl has uh, played Genghis Khan before, mm. uh, but not, at a renaissance fair mm. early on in his career. <laughs> um, let's, we're not going to like try and parse out the logic of, of why Genghis Khan was at a renaissance fair, uh, supposedly in some part of England. Anyways. Some we're not would gonna say this is that. a role he's trained his entire life for. <laughs> Someday. Um, but also, yeah, but, but it was sort of that thing where I was like, this is, this role is mine. It's, it's yeah. mine to lose. I was born for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, no, it's inter- it's interesting to hear you say that because I think uh, something that Jamie and I have talked about playing the game is there is something about Norio, something about the the earnestness, something in his voice that just compels you, draws you to him. And, and so it's funny to hear you say that your acting um, for Kotun Khan was uh, t- like uh, listeners liked you too much because I think that that that. <laughs> That love, that joyfulness, that that earnestness within Norio, it's impossible to ignore. And I think lots of people see that. Yeah. I did want to kind of go back to something you said earlier, um, which is just about how, you know, more actors are being sought out um, to be in games. And I think that... Uh, Versus people who uh, come from a more traditional like voice acting background, and I, I think that there is something really interesting in terms of how gaming um, has even in like the past ten years. Like, I think if you had said, "Oh, I'm really into video games," like five years ago, there, and I think even still today, there's some stigma around it as a hobby um, that's not really serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. more Absolutely. and more. I feel like game the the wall between um, like fiction and reality. Like I feel like with uh, games coming out today, like thinking of uh, like The Last of Us Part Two, for example, like you're really placed into the mind body of these very real people, and, and mm-hmm. there's there's a weight there mm-hmm. um, that I think uh, is sort of bringing games so much closer to what we experience from theater, from film. Yeah. Um, and I I was wondering when you said earlier about how you would sort of keep your desire to get into gaming in, in the background. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't share that with folks. It felt uh, unreachable or something that you would get to later. Like, can you say more mm-hmm. about, about why you felt that way? Like, like why well, you I felt think, like something you couldn't. Yeah. I think yeah. You, you hit a bunch of things on the nose is sort of like the, the, the stigma around gaming or gamers or, you know, cause like I've been a lifetime, I've been a lifelong gamer. My parent, my brother, uh, I think I remember playing, you, we had one of those, like, it was like a fake computer, but it was yeah. just like a typewriter. And then there were these cartridges that you could mm. sort of 
put in and and they were the most rudimentary like race around the square like <laughs> like and like space invade you know like like it's yeah. it was like a total knockoff of a knockoff of like a apple IIe meets an atari you know like mm-hmm. and i you know this is like early 90s <laughs> like from that moment on i think it was like okay i'm a gamer i, I, yeah. I, I love this you know and then the Sega Master System and Genesis and all, you know, I was a Sega, I was a Sega to PlayStation kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not a Nintendo boy. Um, mm-hmm. My partner's a Nintendo boy, which is sort of this really funny, um, <laughs> <laughs> we sit at opposite ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think, I think, yeah, there, there was sort of, there was sort of, when I first got sort of into acting and becoming a part of the industry, you know, there is sort of this, um, I don't know. There's this sort of like, oh, I hope I don't show my cards too early and then get pigeonholed into doing certain things, or mm. you know. And, and I think there was a, a bit of a a worry about that if I sort of you know like told everyone, like got here and I was like, y'all, I want to like cosplay and mm-hmm. like do all these, you know, like yeah, you know, like, I I'll be the weebiest weeb. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, you know, I think that was sort of. Uh, yeah, the, the the stigma that had sort of existed, um, I guess, growing up, you know, because mm-hmm. really now, like you were saying, Spence, like there's there is new horizons being brought to to our brains and souls and hearts through these games because of this. I mean, just the interactivity around around this story, like uh, the the way that I love ex- talking about games is sort of. Um, similar to, to how I like talking about theater. Uh, but like, uh, I, I used to also work a lot in um, site-specific uh, and sort of uh, immersive theater in, in that context where, where audiences often will have to make choices or do things or be sort of make, make themselves a part of the story that they're actually seeing. And I think that that sort of links up with, with video games in such a seamless way. Um, but I think that really these new stories that have been coming out, like the, these new horizons, like just what's possible in 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 a video game and how mm-hmm. how and what we can do with it, I think is especially yeah, like last ten years, the last five years, like it's just shot through exponentially, and it's really wonderful because the, I feel like now that the technology has sort of caught up slash is now pushing the boundary for what's really really possible when we look at the implementation of technology into storytelling, like sort of the pinnacle and, and highest point in my brain being like Mandalorian, mm. that the idea of, of this sort of fully uh, reimaginable and visually seeable uh, sort of digital landscape that's constantly being able to be changed by, by, by production. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's sort of the like, whoa, how have we come, you know? And I think that, that, yeah, at, at first I was a little like, oh, I hope I don't, hope I don't show if, I hope I don't show everyone I'm a big nerd. Right, and then yeah. I think the more and more that I've sort of personally been learning about my life and my career and mm-hmm. everything, it's that I'm that person and it's kind of okay. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> nerds yeah. up funny. <laughs> um, and so I think, yeah, I've even you know, and and I think I, I, I'm just feel so lucky about this opportunity in in ghost in particular because i think it is 
for all of the like numbers reasons of like, Oh, the best selling Sony IP, you know, like all, you know, we, all these awards and all these accolades and those are great. But like, for me, the, the things that are truly remarkable are, you know, the cast, yeah. the, the level of care that was put in by Sucker Punch, by Sony, by, I think pretty much every single person that worked on the game, as far as knowing the tone and texture of the story and wanting to really honor it as mm. opposed to, trying to sh- trying to shape the story for the needs of the game or the company or whatever i think that that there was a real sort of um uh, respect mm-hmm. or at least in in my position uh mm-hmm. i i think that that there you know there was so much care put into all of the choices uh that were made that i think uh, you know it's such an amazing feat to look and and for me to look at the cast and see that the people that they are in real life are the people that are appearing on these screens in a like, and the butts appearing on the, <laughs> the butts appearing on the screen, <laughs> but even in like a way that like, like Jin has Dice's mole. Mm. And that is a thing that could have been so easily, like just like not even thought about and just like, all right, just, you know, clean that up there. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's there. There's it's those you know, touches like, that make them human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, again, like going, talking, going back to the authenticity thing. Like, I think mm-hmm. that there's a, there's just sort of this, I don't know. I, I, I feel, uh, you know, moles and all, <laughs> it, it, it sort of is, is able to give this, this, this fuller idea of, of these people and these, you know, these legends, these stories, these tales that, that I think, Especially with Ghost, you know, we're sort of supposed to go on that journey of of a man becoming legend, becoming ghost, you know. And and I think that that um, constantly still ties back to, but they're people, yeah. But they're people. But despite all of this crazy stuff, we're still just people. And yeah, I, I really love that about about the game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know how I got off on this. Story. No, no. Yeah, no. I I mean, yeah, like let's let's definitely talk about about Ghost. I think that you know, something that I found really relatable as a as a trans person, specifically as a trans masculine person, is that I see Jin's journey as being one of you know, redefining what it means to be a man, what it means to be mm-hmm. a warrior for himself and pushing yes. back on people like his uncle who represent, um, you know, what was a sort of becoming outdated way of thinking, a way of thinking that's just as much keeping you a prisoner um, as it is giving you a place in society. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think that his journey of, um, you know, having to redefine and make peace with his relationship with his father to, you know, figure out what honor means to him and and the that decision that I won't uh, get into specifics on at the very last moment of the game and how that um, it just I yeah I I cried I, I was I was so emotional uh, after playing that game and I think it was because you know I'm not a Japanese samurai uh, in <laughs> but I am mm-hmm. someone who, has been told that I 
am nothing, that I mm. um, mm-hmm. that I deserve to die because I made the decision to break from tradition, to break from what I was allowed to be or what I thought I was allowed to be. And yeah. I think that's something that lots of people um, can relate to. Uh, I'd love to know uh, for you, like I think to um, the relationship between Norio and Jin as a sort of parallel to the relationship between, like when you compare his relationship with Ryuzo, um, mm-hmm. like I think that the there's a tenderness between between Jin and Norio, and there's space for emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in a way that you don't often see in relationships between two, Man. like. Man, yeah, yeah, like, like masculine you, figures, yeah. yeah, and especially in 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 the sort of context of like traditional Japan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there is a lot of stuff in that that I, I you know, um, one, it's easy to. I think the relationship was easy. Uh, is is it's fostered easily just because Dice is a lovely human being, and mm. he's you know quickly becoming one of my closest friends. Um, like, um, and. Like, I think that, that there is a thing about, um, okay, so this is, like, random, way back, like, bizarre thoughts uh, coming yeah. up all of a sudden. But when I was in university, I had an acting professor who basically gave me shit all the time because he thought I was fucking terrible. And it was be- and, and he constantly would bring up this thing about, like, when you're on stage, you should only be thinking about sex or death. And, I, and and it, it, that that whole concept to me like goes against every fiber of my fundamental being that it just I it fills me with rage thinking about it now. But like yeah. like I I feel like I I had gotten so like weirdly bullied by this concept of like yeah when you're acting it's all like mm, mm. Ah, you know and and it wasn't until like going through and and then you know reading an interview with with the esteemed. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> where he he makes a statement about the reason why I don't have romantic relationships between my female protagonists and my male protagonists is because oftentimes they don't they aren't necessary and we don't need and and I think that there's something in that like that I really vibe with in a way of like. Uh, yeah, just in a way that, like, yes, I don't think that I really fundamentally do not believe that mm-hmm. literally all of our our actions are motivated purely by sex or a fear mm-hmm. of that, you know. Like, and I think it's vastly reductionist and all yes. this stuff. Anyway, bringing this back, <laughs> um, I think <laughs> Norio really uh, for me when when I got the sides, when, when I got called up, when it was like, Hey, we have this other character that you're probably way better for. (laughs) Um, But one of those things that I was, that I, that I sort of noticed is that, that, that yes, there's a fear of death and yes, there, there is that, but like the, the, the relate, the relationship between Jin and Norio is, is this sort of wonderfully platonic brotherly, relationship that I the thing that I really love about it is that very rarely I think do we see that that close tenderness between two males as well as this this idea that our our beliefs and our ideas and our our the things that make us who we are fundamentally as these characters actually influence each other like the time that we spend together in the game actually like 
when you think about sort of the progression of my tales in conjunction with the progression of Jin's primary story, um, there's there's sort of this constant balancing that happens where um, each person sort of leaves an imprint on the other and then sort of you go away and then you come back and then you're like, what's happened? What have you been doing, Norio? <laughs> like, and then like, and then like Jin goes away and is like, Oh, this thing just happened. Like, and, and everyone sort of has this like push and pull effect on each other where, yeah. you know, it, it's very similar to real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, we see how these characters, fundamental beliefs around life and death and belief and freedom and, and, and family mm-hmm. are, constantly being butted up against and and we see two people who are who are struggling against those strictures but in different contexts like in 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 very very different ways yeah Uh, and so i think that that becomes a really uh great um i don't know just a back and forth just a a a quick you know just it, it creates this this kinetic friendship that's dynamic as opposed to one that's i don't know i feel like not that the other relationships are are different, but like if we do take Ruzo in mm. in sort of vast contrast, they're in in that context. Neither of them are able to to really get past the people that they were to each other, yes. and and sort of that creates more hurt, and that creates more division, and that creates this sort of lack of understanding in mm-hmm. in in where we get that ultimate. Uh, those moments, <laughs> um, those conflicts, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I think that that it it sort of does. I don't know. I feel like Norio provides this uh, this tender foil. <laughs> yes, something that Jamie and I were talking about uh, about Norio that we also loved is that um, you know he is he's a big person and he is a gentle person. And it's never, you never really get stories that have people that um, have bodies that don't fall within the typical, like, white Eurocentric idea of of what is strong, what is beautiful. And it's really awesome to see a character who is a strong warrior, who is a gentle, a gentleman, who is a friend, and he's not the butt of a joke. Like he is yeah. just as much of a badass as Jin. Um, and I, I just think that you know, as an as an Asian person too, like I have never seen Asian men. I rarely, you rarely see Asian men allowed to you know step outside of stereotypes of like being submissive or mm-hmm. I know um, not having. Or being, being emasculated. The, uh, the, being the Yakuza heavy. Mm-hmm, right, <laughs> right. There is a video that circulated online of you having a really emotional moment and crying the first time that you see yourself in the game. Yeah. Um, what were you kind of, like, what was that like? Like, like I can't even imagine turning on a PS4 and like turning my character around and it's like fucking me. Like wh- what were you, can you just kind of like bring us back to that moment and like talk yeah. about what you were going through? I, think, <laughs> I mean, really, I think the, the core of it goes back to that, like, you know, seeing myself, I think was just a, a purely surreal experience. Um, really. 
and and it's really funny because like I had seen like renderings, like we 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 had, you know I had even seen a bunch of the scenes like that have been sort of previsd and like using sort of our basic sort of not fully completely animated. So it wasn't like I I had never seen you know, but like I think there was something in. I think the most overwhelming thing for me when playing the game and when I run into Norio is, is just sort of how, how real he seems like just, I mean, and and this is sort of across the board about anyone, but like, I, I constantly have these moments. um, There is, there are moments like in, in certain cutscenes where I see the, the rendering that's happened on my, that that's happened on my face and Mm. I'm able to like, I can see like my like weird dissociated memories of like looking at a mirror or like knowing exactly what that face that's being made feels like on Mm. my face, which then just sort of is just the most like, (laughs) yeah, witchcraft. Witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that, yeah, for, I think in that first moment there was, there is sort of all of the, like I hear, you know, the it's it's a tiny moment of of reprieve from all of the bullshit that's in the world. Like mm. really, for me in that moment, it's it's sort of this like, it, like oh my god, this thing that that I felt that was so impossible, or that I felt like would never happen, or would mm. never be a thing, or not be reality, like holy shit it's 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 become a thing also mm-hmm. like i feel like there's a, a a certain possibility and not that it's like with a game this sort of scale but like there's always a like oh it's gonna be delayed or like oh and and mm-hmm. it was delayed but like oh it's like oh and then difficulty came up and then the game just got canceled you know like right. like I, I feel like it's always that like it's not real until i'm actually playing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that was really like, and I had been playing it, like I had been, you know, because you have to get through all of Act One to yeah. <laughs> to get to Norio. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I think, and and knowing like, oh, you know, I'm in there, and like, oh, I've been credited, but then like, oh, what if they like cut everything? Like, what if they like, oh, how did you know? Like, because uh, at the end, there's pretty much no nothing I can do about it. But I think that was sort of it all, just sort of gelled in that moment of seeing Nori. And like obviously like my my initial reactions because I'm just the way I am and self-deprecating. Like <laughs> it's like, oh look at that asshole. Oh. oh my God. No, it was beautiful. I yeah, like um it was an awesome moment. I think Ghost of Tsushima, it it surprised me the narrative and emotional depth. I think those first that first those first two acts, I mean the the setup, um, the payoff, um, the the Jin's journey—it's—it's um, it's a lot. And it I is. think uh, <laughs> Ghost has lessons about healing from trauma. It has lessons about being open to change. It has lessons about accepting that impermanence is a thing, and there are some things you can't change. Um, what are some things that, like, you're still? taking with you after the well, game Well, okay, done. so here's an interesting thing. Um, uh, Norio is a, a Buddhist monk. Um, yeah. And I think uh, it's, I just found it uh, like the, just the whole process being really interesting because um, 
I went to a Buddhist university, hmm. actually, um, strangely enough. Uh, oh. Yeah, I uh, went to this crazy, weird, hippie Buddhist university in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, oh my god, Naropa? Yeah. I'm I think Naropa. that's so cool. I love I'm a Naropa graduate. Awesome. <laughs> Which is very strange. Uh, also, because uh, my program no longer exists mm. at Naropa. The performance program has was essentially shelled. Uh, mm. Also, because the university experienced a lot of financial hardships because uh, in like 26... 26- there was a someone was money laundering money out of oh, the, out of the university to personal accounts, and it ended up being like upwards of like a million dollars, but like essentially money that should have been going to the university and resources and things basically went all to this lady's pocket and her partner's pocket, and it was garbage. And Jesus. like the FBI got stepped in and all this stuff, but like it it did a lot of damage, and it's really unfortunate. And one of the fo- really unfortunate things happening was that my degree program has now been canceled. And then now I recently found out that the entire sort of performing arts uh, structure at the university is uh, kind of going away, which is really, uh, really, 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 it just kills me. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, like my, my connection to Norio, I guess, is sort of practice-based um, yeah. and, and sort of that uh like weird true heart connection based of like oh right this person is like a fictional person but ho oh, dang there happened to be a lot of similarities with your life <laughs> yeah um and i think that that there's a there's a level in one of the things that i really appreciated about norio in particular was um the the openness that the writing team sort of had and and around sort of because you know Norio, who Norio was from when I was cast to mm. who Norio became, uh, I think there's also been quite a journey in in that mm. transformation. Uh, and I think that, um, yeah, just the the ways that that everyone was sort of able to bounce around and feedback and 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 really again at that at that point of seeking like in seeking to serve the story it doesn't become, we don't it doesn't become personal, you know, and trying to find these characters, it doesn't become personal when it's like, Hey, I don't really, I'm not really sure if this is working, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just a, Hey, I'm not really sure if this is going to be the best way to tell this story. And then everyone being like, Oh yeah. Oh, you know, like, I think there's just this, like a different mindset. And I think that my background uh, in ensemble theater sort of, and, and, and devised work has sort of been a large part of my wheelhouse and sort of, I think that, that, experience I think has definitely been really, really helpful in in sort of the beast that that Sushima became. Yeah, like you are Norio, what you brought to that character, he would not exist uh if you had not done that. So that that's it's really beautiful. And I think it does speak to, you know, what you were saying earlier about um, you know, theater and gaming sort of coming closer together because theater is very experiential. You can't, you can't experience it the very same way just because humans are not going to be able to act exactly the same with every performance. Like every performance is is unique and um, it's really cool to have that, you know, like forever preserved in this game. Like that was 
um, that's a unique character yeah. that you brought. That, that's really awesome. Um, I mean, I also just like, it's a win for chubby Asian kids yeah, everywhere. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you two could be, you two could be powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you two can be gay, queer, you know, fat, happy, Asian, powerful. Yes. All of this. Um, thank you, Earl. show we invite folks to come in and talk to us about a game that had some sort of meaningful impact on their life so not everyone we interview identifies as a gamer but every one of us shares a love of games um and so you told us that final fantasy tactics was the game that you like to discuss with us today if somehow you had to describe this game to somebody who had never heard of it before what is like a couple sentences how would you encapsulate this this game God. <laughs> it is a strategic role-playing game that places you in a world that is experiencing political turmoil. Hmm. And your character has to do some intense soul searching to figure out who he is and why he's there. Mm. So, incorp- yeah. oh, sorry, I was going to keep going. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It incorporates many of the familiar aspects of your typical Final Fantasy RPG, mm-hmm. and then in many ways in many ways, subverts them. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, and so when we were reading about this game, we couldn't help but notice that there was a slight similarity to the narrative in Ghost of Tsushima. Um, You know, this is a story that ultimately centers on a hero who has been lost to time, who has not had his story, um, you know, preserved in history because powers outside of his control decided um, that his story should not be told. And, you know, there is something that is really resonant about these stories of these, these sort of tragic heroes, um, their selflessness. Like, why do you think these types of stories resonate so strongly with players? Like, what makes them so timeless? Because this is, this game's come out, what, like 25 years ago? Yeah. Um, but these story okay. beats still resonate so deeply. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there's always this, this idea of unsung heroes. Mm-hmm. I think there's all, I think we always, I think everyone has experienced a moment of like, wait, but I did that, you know, or like, or like some moment of like, of, of, of credit, not of being disproportionately placed in the wrong, in the wrong, in the wrong place, or even seeing or witnessing moments of, of, oh, that person is using their XYZ to get a thing that they might not be the thing that they deserve. Or, you know, I think that, that, that it's a very sort of human understanding of like, oh yeah, there are people that don't get talked about and there, there are people who do the, do, do the deeds and then get forgotten. And I think that there's something really beautiful and romantic and, and, and sort of sad and tragic about that, that I think we are always attracted to, or at least I'm always attracted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so tell us more about like, what is it specifically about Final Fantasy Tactics that uh, speaks to you so much? I think that in a nutshell, Final Fantasy Tactics is a story of 
of allyship. I think mm. it's, it's a story of a young man who through his own circumstance is forced to reckon with um, privilege and power and uh, class and, and sort of the awful things that humans do to each other. Mm. Uh, and chooses uh, to change themselves and chooses to, sorry, I didn't really emotional thing about it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think just, just makes that choice to, to, uh, I guess, stop being passive. Mm. Uh, I think in, and, and in, in terms of the greater things happening around them, uh, they choose to, uh, I guess, look further and, and do their, again, do their own research and, and do all these <laughs> things. But, but it's really, a, I think Ramza is such an incredible character mm. that I think he gets very little credit. He is my favorite Final Fantasy protagonist of all time. Mm. Um, he's also, like, in one tiny arc of an act, like, Ramza goes through more change than any other Final Fantasy protagonist ever does. Mm. Like, shows a level of self-awareness and 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 reckoning in, in a way that I think this game really, for me as a kid growing up, um, was like, oh, that's, that's a real fucking hero. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, on, on another completely like super nerdy level mm-hmm. of this game. Uh, when I was a young child, uh, I was in Korea when this game came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was at a, uh, bookstore that had a bunch of video game magazines. And I remember buying, it was an imported Japanese, uh, game. I think it, it might've been a Famitsu. But it basically included a like hundred plus guidebook to this game. Oh my god! Yeah, that I had never like, and this game I had never heard of. I had just beaten Final Fantasy VII. Was like Final Fantasy, yeah. you know? Like I think I was like twelve or eleven at the time. Like I was a wee lad. Yeah. But so I I I was looking at this magazine and and it had this little insert of this like chapter book on the and it. it had all the art and all all of the the stuff in this game. I was just like, "What? What is this? Mm. What? What? What is this?" And I basically bought the magazine. Uh, at that time, I knew no Japanese, mm. like absolutely zero Japanese. Like my my parents, my mom spoke it, my grandparents spoke it. You know, mm. like but I myself had no context for Japanese. So like, mm-hmm. I took this little like this this tiny book that had like, you know, pictures of the dungeons and like layouts and like enemy lists and like stats and stuff. And like, I, I, I wish I had it. It's at my parents' house, but like I took little, like a tiny sharp, like a tiny little marker and like translated little things on the side, like had my mom's dictionary, my dad, like all, I was literally sat there and it's the first time that I have like obsessed Mm. over a game in a way that was like, I must know everything about this. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> like, like this world, these people, these abilities, this art. Like, I, I, I just got so obsessed with it in a way that, and I, and I honestly don't think it would have happened if I didn't have that little, like, because it, it, it's like a little chat book. Like, it looks like this little, like, yeah. wee little, like, insert. And I, 
Oh, I <laughs> I wore the shit out of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny you say that. Like, I remember being a kid and like um, playing through. Like, I feel like today when I play games, I don't have the guide next to me. But something about when I was young, like I would say like six to 13, 14, something about having a guide, it almost was like a spell book or a mythology. Like it had power. It was, it drew me. And when I, I felt like it was another piece of like immersing myself in that world. There's something so, so magical about them. Um, Definitely. There's also that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no. I, I, I just, just the like, the sheer like advancements that we've made in these, in, you know, like again, these, this, it was these like screenshots of these like <laughs> little pixel, you know, and like, like maps of like super rudimentary with like, like red arrow, red arrow, red arrow, yeah. X, red arrow, red arrow, red arrow, X, you know, like just these really simple diagrams. And then like, now where I'm, where it's just like, oh, you want to find out how to do the thing? Like go on YouTube and like some dude will like walk you through it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it was, it seemed, it seemed like a, a treasure map or a, yeah. or like a, yeah, like a book of spells, like some sort of thing that was like, <sighs> connect yeah. me to this. Yeah. There was, uh, there was this quote in a Kotaku article called why everyone loves uh, final fantasy tactics. And the quote was, you know, the, the story has all the weight and intrigue of a Shakespearean tragedy. Um, and it's an ambitious and epic story delivered using these doll-like characters that look like they could have come from a children's game. And it just, uh, just from how you're speaking of it too, it, it, there is something so, um, just really cool about that dichotomy of, um, you know, almost this story is hidden uh, behind the facade of what you think on surface level is just your typical tactical strategy game. But when you get into it, there is so much more under the surface. Um, Yeah. I mean, also like there's, there's a whole section of like church intrigue, like the whole, like it's, it's a lot of like biblical and, 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 and sort of church intrigue and like, for me, at that mm-hmm. time, having yeah. a good Christian boy and uh, you know being terrified of Korean Jesus growing up, mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's at the point where like that, you know, I'm 12 and I am starting to figure things out about myself that mm. are making me question a lot of the things that I've been fed in church, yes. and it's sort of like you know, never brazenly in that way had I like really experienced a piece of media that was like, Hey, Hey, the church, the church is really corrupt. I know this church is of a church of a completely different religion, like in a far away land and place, but mm-hmm. like, Hey, if a church in this far away land and place could be so terrible, corrupt and awful. Hmm. I wonder what that says about church. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not like you know if if religion is your thing if 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 it helps you mm-hmm. if you find a closer connection to the divine through your practice then great more power to you. However, church was not very helpful for me. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, I'm glad you said that because you're absolutely right. Like as a queer kid um, who didn't have the language or the access to communities where I would be able to discover that kind of stuff about myself. I think it was games. Games were the first place where, you know, it wasn't my story, but there were pieces of it that I could learn to think of through problems for myself. Like I could learn to 
you know, take things into my own hands, control my own destiny. I think you're absolutely yeah. right that these games um, gave us the pieces to sort of put words to these these concepts that we we feel inside but don't know how to explore otherwise. Um, that's amazing. Um, so, Earl, we have been loving this time with you. Um, I do have one question for you that's been on my mind ever since Ghost came out. Um, and that is, uh, so Norio has this shoulder contraption. <laughs> it's like a bunch of balls and it's like a circle. What's yes. in there? What's in there, Earl? <laughs> uh, ration packs. Okay. His snacks and, so and snacks. rations. So it's basically oh, snacks amazing. and supplies. Um, so, uh, old, uh, Sohei, uh, warrior monks, yeah. uh, because they would often sort of be like going from one temple to the next mm. and sort of, we're going to fight all the bad guys from this temple to the next. Didn't really know like when the next time they'd be somewhere that, so, so they, the way that the packs work also is super, super simple. It's literally like a long piece of fabric mm. and, a thing gets placed, it gets wrapped, it gets twisted, and then another thing gets placed and wrapped and twisted. And so it's just this interconnected. It's like a it's like a bandolier, I guess. Like yeah. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> infinite fanny packs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh god, it has a. Let me find it. It has a. Like, there's a name for it. There's a yeah. full like jap proper Japanese name. Um, uh, I just gotta. Yeah. Any, yeah, I, I don't know. Where, it's it's in an yeah. email somewhere. <laughs> if you think of it, let us know. Um, I will. I'll probably I'll probably send you. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, please. Here, here. I have to know. Um, Earl T. Kim, thank you again for joining us. Um, where can folks find you online? What are you up to these days? Um, anything you want to let us know? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, since the industry is pretty much uh, halted and uh, theaters. Uh, uncertain uh as its future mm-hmm. yeah what dice and i dice and i have actually been streaming uh yes. on twitch and we are in the process of launching a uh exciting media empire uh well i don't know if it's a media empire, but it's uh basically so uh i've been streaming on twitch at earl of sandwich um and I, there's a t in that one but my actual handle is earl of sandwich with no t you can find me on twitter um but yeah, so we do co- like actually we're doing a co-stream in like an hour and a half. Awesome. Uh, but basically we're doing a, a dice streams two days out of the week, I stream two days out of the week and then we do a co-stream on on Saturdays. So, um yeah, and then we're in the process of like putting a podcast together and a, yeah. and a and a, and a uh, we got a YouTube page coming and all yeah. sorts of exciting things, exciting. but yeah, yeah, I mean really quarantine and pandemic has just been one of those like okay well what are we gonna do because yeah. uh no one else is doing anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah that's what i'm up to um find me on my socials thank you for uh thank you for all of this yeah. time is up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you enjoyed this episode, we would very much appreciate it if you could rate us and review us on your podcast application of choice. It does make a world of difference for an up-and-coming podcast like us. And I just want to take a quick second and say thank you to everyone who has been rating and reviewing us. Yes. Oh my gosh, like it just... Uh, uh, 
I, I don't know. We didn't know what to expect starting this, and the amount of like support that we've been getting on there and in other places has just been, it's wild. been, uh, it, yeah, wild. Wild is the best way to put it. I can't even articulate it, but thank you so much if you have been rating and review us and rating and reviewing us. And if you haven't, um, please do. Uh, we really appreciate it. And it, it's important to um, getting the podcast out there and in front of more people. If you want to reach out to us, maybe you've got a great story about a game that changed you, a guest recommendation, a question, or even just a comment for us, whatever it is, we would love to hear from you, really, truly. You can reach us by email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. And hey, who knows, if you write us something interesting, we may just have to read it on the show sometime. You can stay up to date on all things Pixel Therapy by following us on Instagram and other social media at pixeltherapypod or by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, uh, we end every episode of Pixel Therapy with what we call a side quest. Just think of these as ideas for how you can get involved on a local or national scale. Um, just some really cool causes that have been brought about um, by our guests um, and by listeners like you. Um, and this week, Earl T. Kim actually gave us an amazing organization that I'm so excited to talk to you all about. Um, it's called Be an Arts Hero. And you can find them at beanartshero.com. Um, and to be an hashtag arts hero um, is to be part of an intersectional grassroots campaign that's comprised entirely of arts and culture workers, unions, and institutions in the United States who are working together to push the Senate to allocate more relief to the arts and culture sector um, to help not just uh, you know sustain but revive um, the American economy. And this grassroots campaign is entirely 100% volunteer run. Um, the arts sector employs over 5 million people in the U.S. and provides more in terms of value to the economy than transportation, agriculture, or even tourism. Um, the arts and culture sector is a cornerstone of the U.S. economy, um, and yet they've received virtually no support in, during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, Meanwhile, many folks who work in arts also work in industries like hospitality and service, which have been hit just as hard by the coronavirus pandemic. Competition for these jobs has been super, super fierce. Um, and since the federal pandemic unemployment compensation program ran out on August 1st, um, this month, October, over 40 million Americans have been facing eviction. Um, and this disproportionately affects um, Black and Indigenous people of color, um, which is what Be an Arts Hero um, strives to prioritize as part of their intersectional approach. Um, so right now, you can join uh, and get involved with the Be an Arts Hero campaign um, through this uh, program they're calling Arts Are My Superpower. And Arts Are My Superpower is a nationwide effort for children, young adults, families, and classrooms to write letters to their local senators, voicing their support for arts throughout the month of October. Um, you can visit the website, again, that's beanartshero.com to learn more about how you can get involved in their campaigns and how you can be an arts hero. Um, so thank you, Earl T. Kim, for introducing us to this really cool organization. Um, and yeah, find out more about how you can support the arts because um, clearly we all need them, especially now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that side quest. So that's our show. Go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We will be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Therapy. There we go. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you.